0: So as we've been in the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus slowly reveal more and more of himself, like more and more of who he is, more and more of his power and authority. Uh, We've seen him call his disciples to follow him, and they, they, they followed him. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him heal paraplegics. We've seen him teach with authority, stump the religious teachers of the day. We've seen him cast out demons, heal people. We've seen him miraculously feed crowds of thousands. We've seen him walk on water at this point in the book of Mark. And so it's fitting that we end the first half of the series today because today is when Jesus reveals more of his glory, reveals more of who he is. There's a big moment here in the book of Mark that I think it's fitting that we land here um, before we take a break because today all we've seen Jesus do culminates... Uh, in a moment where he reveals his glory to his disciples. There's a moment where Jesus' godness isn't hidden, but revealed. I think one of the hardest realities about being a Christian is that often God's glory seems hidden from view. We don't, we don't have a window into heaven. You know, we don't, we don't necessarily see God, uh, you know, in In his godness And so often it's it's you know, it requires faith that we have to walk in faith uh, Not by sight Um, We don't have jesus walking around in the flesh today today. We celebrate the the pentecost Which means that we have the holy spirit living in us, but we don't have the person of jesus walking with us in the flesh anymore And unless we're looking for his glory often we don't see it unless we're looking for it. And because it's not right in front of our faces, sometimes it's way easier to just get caught up in our own lives and what we've got going on and what we're doing and not look for the glory of God. And we may have moments where we feel God close. We may have moments where we see something miraculous. We may have moments where we feel the Holy Spirit. But we may have many, many more mundane, dry, human moments, right? Right? And so what the truth that this gospel screams at us is that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. That God has made himself known in the person of Jesus. But even in this it wasn't obvious. It wasn't an obvious reveal. Jesus was born you may remember in a manger in a stable among donkeys and animals and all that stuff. He was born to a humble family. He Grew up among normal humans. He was a small town carpenter in some small town in uh, northern Judea. Yet, this is God's message to the world. In John 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God says, We've seen his glory in the person of Jesus. This is how God chooses to communicate who he is to the world. In a person that comes and communicates to us, that lives in the dirt with us. God's glory comes to earth through his son, Jesus. And so in every conversation we read, it's God revealing his glory to us. In every miracle that we read, Jesus reveals his glory to us in his suffering jesus reveals god's glory and this might not this might look different than how we typically think of glory when you think of, it's not really a word we use all the time but when you think of the word glory I, often i think of of war right you think of glory and war like anybody watch uh, gladiator in here yeah gladiator anybody like gladiator in here gladiator gladiator came out in the year 2000 I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, there is a uh, there's a handshake in the movie Gladiator. Steven, would you just come up here for a second? <laughs> gonna, I didn't. We didn't plan this, but there's a there's a handshake in the movie Gladiator where where uh, where Maximus goes up to his general. and goes, "Strength and honor." Grab like right here, "Strength and honor," <laughs> and uh, that was like glorious. Remember in high school, that was glorious and we used to make fun of it. We'd go around, the, my, me and my buddies would go around the halls in high school saying strength and honor. You know, that was our, that was our handshake because we thought that was really cool and manly and, and glorious. Um, but glory to you could look really different than this idea of Jesus the suffering servant or Jesus the, the teacher, or Jesus the God who became flesh. Glory today, we can get on our phones and uh, scroll reels of people jumping off of buildings and uh, on beautiful sunset beaches and um, in luxurious homes with pet tigers. You know, we might, we might look at that stuff and say, that's glorious right there. You know, that's the, that's the life right there. But what comes to your mind when you think about the glory of God? The glory of God. The, the image that comes to my mind when I was in college— uh, this was 2003. I went to a uh, gathering of 40,000 college students in Texas called One Day, 2003. And there, Pastor John Piper gave this speech where he talked about the glory of God and he talked about the throne room and Isaiah's vision of God in the throne room. And he said it would be like if you you know, were out in this, this field rolling hills and he said it's like if there was one leg of the chair way over there and there was one leg of the chair way over there and and back here and God sitting on his throne and like just gave us this image of a great big powerful God and that's who he is. Right? He's huge. We're going to go to the throne room one day and bow and worship. We won't know what else to do. Because God is big and God is great. And I remember coming home from that trip and just being really like floored by the greatness and the the bigness of God. And there will be a day where we'll be blown away by the greatness of God as we, as we stand in that throne room, surrounded by the angels who are always singing. We'll be amazed at the glory of God. But the problem is we don't live there right now. We don't live in the throne room right now. And so sometimes God's glory seems hidden to us. Because what we see more of in our lives is the ugliness of humanity. We see more of the ugliness of humanity. We see abuse. We see sexual exploitation. We see mass shootings. We see poverty. We see disease. We see brokenness everywhere. And so that throne room image sometimes gets masked by the ugliness and the brokenness that we see around us. Not only the the ugliness we see out there, but also the ugliness that we wrestle with right here. Our own weaknesses. The weaknesses of others, our shortcomings, our anger, our addictions, our darkness. All those things can make that throne room seem a million miles away. Yet, what does God say? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So today, as we come to this halfway point in the Gospel of Mark my prayer is that you would have a more complete picture and understanding of the glory of God in the person of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Mark uh, 8, verse 27. I'm going to read through 33. It says this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning, to, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, a lot going on here. Um, Jesus had been hanging out with the disciples for a while, and this is the first instance where they say, You are the Christ, which we say Jesus Christ we equate Jesus with Christ, but what the word Christ means is the promised one, the Savior, the one who would come and save the world. And so this is the first time that Peter declares that, or any of his disciples declare that he's the Christ. And it took time. It, it, it took time, and Jesus allowed them to come to their own conclusion about who he was. He waited. And I think this is important for us to understand, because we need to understand that our journey with Jesus in belief is a journey. It's a journey. Uh, we don't know everything right off the bat. Faith is a process. And, and I want to say here at, our, at, at CTK Blaine, man, we are all about that process. We are all about that process of you discovering Jesus little by little, um, and, and, and finding him He may reveal himself to you In one glorious moment But um, for many of us it might take more time Than that and that is Totally fine Because what we want to do as a church Is make space for people to discover Who Jesus is Because it's when we really wrestle with that That's when our faith Becomes solid And tested And real because we've asked the big questions we, we've walked through it we've, we've walked with Jesus a while to see that yes he is good and I know it because I can see what a difference he's made in my life and I know it because um, because I can compare the truth that I see in Jesus and the craziness that's going on in the world and I choose Jesus so our faith should be tried and tested it's not cheap it's not a one-time confession, it's an everyday journey. So, Jesus, they're on a hike. They're hiking to Caesarea Philippi. And he makes space and 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 over this time, this season, we don't know exactly how long it's been with his disciples, he's made space for them to come to their conclusion about who he is. When when they signed up to be his disciples, he didn't make them sign a contract that had a statement of belief. Hey, before you follow me, you're going to believe all these things. Okay, sign here. No, he allowed them to get to know him, to walk with him. But on this hike, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? So first he starts with the broad question. What are you hearing from the crowds? What are you hearing from, from everybody else out there? And the answer is basically they think you're a prophet. They think you're John the Baptist, who had recently been beheaded. Jesus cousin. Maybe they looked alike. You know, they think you're John the Baptist. They think you're Elijah. Elijah, if you remember in the Old Testament, uh, went to heaven on a on, on a chariot of fire, and so maybe Elijah came back, and Jesus is Elijah. Um, but at the very least, they say they they think you're a prophet because you you, you uh, because because you. You share the message of God, right? You speak God's truth. So, um, and you do things that maybe only prophets could do. So maybe you are a prophet. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he pivots to the personal. He asks them, okay, that's good. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because that's the question that really matters. That's the question that matters for us. That's the question that we're accountable to God for. Who do you say that Jesus is? It matters. Who do you say? Who do you believe that Jesus is? Your personal belief in Jesus is at the core of the good news. Believing is trusting, it's at the core of our faith. Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just a prophet? Or is Jesus just a good moral teacher? that we can learn from. If Jesus is just a prophet that puts him in league with Muhammad and and other people who claim to be prophets. If Jesus is just a good moral teacher, that puts him in line with Buddha and other great philosophers, that sort of thing. Um, If Jesus is made up like modern atheists believe, maybe he's just made up. Um, You know, that's that's a pretty unbelievable claim because there's so much historical, archeological evidence for the existence of Jesus. And we can talk about that, by the way. You can ask a question next week, and I'll cover that one, if you want. Um, But what you believe about who Jesus is matters a lot. It matters a lot. And Peter answers here, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. So in this moment, Peter declares Jesus to be more than a prophet. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of God. The one who's going to save the world. Peter is saying that Jesus is the ultimate authority in the world. And so Peter, through all of the evidence that he's collected through walking with Jesus, declares that he's God, that he's the son of God. He sees that, God, that Jesus is more than simply a prophet or simply a moral teacher. He believes that he's God. But it's interesting, because as Peter speaks this, as he reveals this, Jesus has an interesting response. He says, it says, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. It's like, that's, that's great, Peter. Keep it quiet. Like, why would, why would Jesus do that? Right? Maybe he wants other people to come to their own conclusions about who he is. Maybe the world's not ready to hear yet. And that's, What he says, he says there's some things that have to happen before the world knows. He says, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. This is the first time where Jesus speaks plainly about his work of of dying on a cross for our sins and of resurrection. He shares his plan, his glorious plan, with his disciples. The thing of it is, they don't see it as glorious like Jesus does. They're like, what? That's not a good plan. That's not a glorious plan. Where are the sunsets in this plan? Where is the massive crowds? Where's the book deal in this plan, Jesus? You know, they, d- it just doesn't, that doesn't seem like glory to them. Glory sh- d- should not look like suffering at the hands of an oppressive Roman government. Glory should not look like dying on an ugly Roman cross. But yet, that's how Jesus displays the glory of God, is having the riches of heaven, but choosing to enter the flesh and suffering and dying for us. So Jesus displays the glory of God, not by showing us the throne room, but showing us God's very heart. Showing us how much God actually loves us the depth of his love, the depth of his compassion, willing to go and and die on a cross. He shows us that love. So we talk about the humility of Jesus, and really the humility of Jesus is his glory, Mm -hmm. that he's a God who has everything, who is the authority, yet he's willing to humble himself to the point of death, empty himself out for us. He has all the trappings of the king, but he's willing to die the hero's death. And we see the Christ figure in all the movies we watch and different stories we read. You know, if you watch the Avengers, Iron Man's that character, you know. Um, but, but this is the glory of God to have it all and in love, leave it so that he, we could, he could join us back to him. But still, this isn't the picture that Peter has in mind He thinks if he rides the Jesus train, it's going to end up pretty good for him Like materially, or he'll be thought of as a great teacher, or be important, or whatever Suffering is not a part of the plan, and so his gut reaction is to rebuke Jesus Uh, Eugene, Eugene Peterson translates it, he grabs him in protest Like, no, we're not going down that road We're not doing that and then Jesus says some pretty powerful words that would kind of kill the party, any party. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. Uh, that, that, would, uh, that would rile some things up. That would kind of, you know, drop the mic right there. He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. If you remember, Satan earlier tempts Jesus with all of the, the stuff in the world, all the, the glory that the world could offer and, and Jesus resisted that and so again he says get behind me Satan and the reason is for you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man which points to this idea again that that man and God have two different definitions of the word glory a glorious life to us is going to look different than what a glorious life looks like to God right uh, our glorious life will involve less sacrifice, less pain, be a little more comfortable, uh, be a little, more, a little safer, easy and exciting living. You know, that would be glorious. God's idea of a glorious life involves loving others to the point of suffering and sacrificing, right? Emptying himself, laying down your life for those you love. Jesus knew the work that was ahead. He knew his path. But he chose, and he chose to pursue it because his glory isn't just about the throne room. It's also about the heart of God, the the capacity of God to love. And so if we want to follow Christ, we have to adjust the way that we think about glory and what would make our lives glorious. Just like Peter, we may think life with Jesus should look one way when Jesus wants to make it clear that it's going to look different. And that might create some tension in your life. Um, I shared this last week from Matthew 8, but we find the same passage here in Mark 8. Um, this is how Jesus continues. In light of what he just said to his disciples, in light of you know, him saying that, saying that he's going to the cross, that he would suffer, it says this in verse 34. Verse 34. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. For many of us, this is one of the toughest passages of the Bible to read. Because it demands that we measure our life up against this. Am I denying myself? Am I, am I uh, taking up my cross? Am I following Jesus with everything I, I, I am? Am I, am I living for this life? Or am I, am, am I willing to give up my life to follow Jesus? And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to, you have to take up your cross too. You, ha- you have to have the same burden for the world that I have. If you want to follow me, you need to pursue the kind of life that I'm living. Chase the same things that I'm chasing. And it's not about fame, success, importance. Uh, It's not about personal health. It's about the kingdom of God and what he's doing in the world. And so what we deny ourselves of, um, it might be our selfishness. It might be personal ambition. It might be an appetite that we let run too wild in our lives might be denying us those things and, and picking up our cross, whatever burden God has given us to bear, whatever that looks like for us. But then in the middle of that, we die to ourselves so that we don't just die, but we become a new person in Christ. We become new. We live and are excited about the things of God. We're excited about the kingdom of God. We're excited about lives changing. We're excited about what God is doing in the world. There's also this verse that is difficult too at the end where he talks about being ashamed, right? Can we be ashamed of, of the gospel in this world? And the answer is definitely yes. There's, there is a tension. When we decide to follow Jesus, there is a tension. It, like I said a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't make sense to everybody we care about in our lives. Yeah. Like if we follow Jesus and we get excited about him, that isn't going to make sense to everybody. But that's the tension that, that Jesus invites us into. It's part of that cross that we bear. And he says, like, if you're ashamed of me and my, way, and, and, and my ways here, that's going to be reflected in heaven. And so if, 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 we're having, if, if we can't deal with that tension, we have reason to be concerned, right? Because during the course of your life, you're always going to have the the Spirit of God pulling you in one direction and the flesh pulling you in another direction. You're always going to have the priorities of the world pulling you in one direction and the priorities of God pulling you in the other direction. That doesn't mean that that God won't bless you materially at times. That doesn't mean that that God won't um, give you good things, but it just means that there are going to be times in your life where the rubber meets the road. Am I going to choose Jesus, or am I going to choose me? And so we got to navigate that tension and not be embarrassed of the life that God calls us to live, not run from it, not hide from it. And I can speak from my own experience that sometimes walking that tension is is difficult Uh, in a workplace. It can be difficult with, with family. It can be difficult in a lot of different ways. It can be difficult in the school environment, navigating that tension. Um... You know, it might mean that that you feel like you're the one sticking out in your workplace. You're not you're not talking like everybody else is is talking. Uh, You're not partying like everybody else is partying. Um, It it means you might look different. But the, the the truth of the gospel is that when we stand out, that's when we're a light to the world. Right. Jesus also talks about not hiding our light under a bushel. Like when we act like everybody else, we're hiding that light under a bushel. But when we're living willing to live different in the world then we're letting that light out for everybody to see and be attracted to right like a bug zapper no <laughs> oh just <laughs> kidding uh just needed to shake it up a little bit uh but you know that that people are attracted to i know when i worked as a recruiter i did feel different at times and in you know different life priorities and And stuff. But when my coworkers hit hard times in their life, guess who they they turned to and talked to and had questions about faith? See, we bring glory to God when we live surrendered lives like Jesus. When we're willing to live differently, that brings glory to God. When we live like Jesus, we also bring God glory. But it's being willing to live differently and think differently and have different priorities than the world. And so here's the question that we all need to wrestle with that comes out of this passage today. What does your life communicate about Jesus? You know, we can say I believe in Jesus, but what does your life communicate about it? If Jesus asked you, who do you say that I am, what would your life say? Would it communicate that Jesus is king, that he's worth it, that I'm willing to invest my whole life in? And I think often this, this shows up not in just what we do, but how we do it, right? Are we working really hard? Are we, are, are we loving those who we work with? Are we, are are we asking people how they're doing? Are we loving well? Are we um, keeping ourselves from the things of the world, like from, uh, y- you know, from from addictions and different things like that, so that that we can be totally present with Jesus. Are we treating others, even those we don't agree with, well? You know, we live in a time of a lot of hostility, like political hostility. Um, You know, are we communicating that in the middle of this sea of anger, that Jesus is the answer? That Jesus is the answer. Are we making room in our life for hurting and discouraged people? willing to pray for healing for people that's where the rubber meets the road sometimes if someone's suffering are we willing to pray for their healing because we believe Jesus can do it so these are challenging questions These are challenging questions for me these are challenging questions for all of us but this is the this is a passage where we measure our life and and and, and look at it and and ask God what do I really believe about Jesus and there are times in our lives where the rubber will meet the road uh, when it comes to what we believe in. I want to share this story about, uh, you may have heard of a German theologian and pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in, uh, we got a couple people who've heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. All right. Um, so in the spring of 1939, this German theologian and pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, from Germany had traveled to New York to spend some time with friends now if you know if you know your history 1939 is right at the beginning of World War II and being a German pastor there had been a lot of division in the church with people um, with some churches and pastors um, conceding to Nazism and Hitler and others who spoke against it and so um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer being a man of integrity spoke against it and he watched other pastors and churches submit to what was going on and, um, because they were afraid. Um, but he got away. He was invited to hang out with friends for a couple weeks in New York. And so his stay in New York was a time of decision. He had a choice to make. He could stay in New York, and stay safe, and, and weather the storm and, and the relative security of America or he could return to his people in Germany in their time of need. And this is what he said to a friend. He said, I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. So after two weeks, he got on a ship and he went back to Germany to suffer with his people because Jesus was worth everything to him. He was willing to weather that conflict. And on his return, he remained outspoken against what was going on in Germany. He helped some Jews escape to Switzerland. And if you know the story, he was later arrested. He was put in the Flossenbürg concentration camp, and he was hung in the gallows on April 9, 1945. Days later, that camp was freed by Allied forces. And he was only 39 years old. It's a powerful story, but that was, it was worth it to him. So the question remains, who is Jesus to you? Is he Savior? Is he Lord? Is he King? Is he worthy of giving away everything for? For that, that day we know we will be in the throne room of God. Are we willing to live in light of that today? Because guess What? Dietrich Bonhoeffer now knows in full the glory of God. He, he gets to stand before God. And someday our faith will be made sight as well. And so the question in the meantime is, are we li- willing to live for that day? Are we willing to change and shape our lives around the person of Jesus? Because right now we just get a glimpse. We just get a moment. We just get a taste of glory We don't see in full, but the promise of Scripture is that someday we will. And the crazy—I want to end on this part. The interesting, crazy thing that happened after Peter made this declaration, six days later, he got a greater glimpse of the glory of God. And this is what it says in Mark 9, uh, verse 2. It says, And after six days, Jesus took, him with, took with him Peter and James and John, For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Jesus gave them a glimpse. This is who I am. This is me stripped away of my humanity, me in my, like, God form. This is who I really am. And in that moment, Peter has no idea what to do. What do I do when I come face to face with the living God? Hey, I can make tents for everybody. I, I'll, I'll go make some tents. I'll be back. You know, he was terrified. He hadn't, he, like, basically, he's saying he had no idea what he was saying. Words were just coming out of his mouth. You know, I love that. Because what would we do in that moment, right? I don't know. You guys want some lemonade? Uh,. <laughs> You know, what would we do? Here, Jesus is robes of blazing white, right? And, uh, you know, he just didn't know what to say. And basically, that's the point, is if God revealed himself in all his glory, we would just be like putty. We wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. We, could, we couldn't absorb that. And that's the case, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, too. Yeah. When, when Moses took the Ten Commandments... From God, it says God turned his back to him because his glory would overwhelm Moses and kill him on the mountain. But in God's mercy, he sends Jesus. He sends a human being, right? God in the flesh that we can connect with, learn from, hear from, get to know. God doesn't reach down to earth, pick us up and pull us up here. God takes himself, and enters our world. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the basis of all of our relationships with him. It's not about us finding God, it's about God finding us. Yeah. It's about Jesus, God reaching into our lives, God, God showing up in our lives, even when we're not looking for him. All of a sudden, he reveals himself to us. He invites us on this journey with Jesus, a, a journey of, of transformation. It starts, it's not, it doesn't start with us getting pulled up into the throne room of God. It starts with Jesus going from that throne room down to the dirt, down to the cross, and into all of our lives. That's how God revealed himself. He made himself accessible to us in the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we, I just celebrate you this morning. And Lord, as we talk about your glory, I confess these are things that are way over my head. I don't know the feeling that I'll have in the throne room one day. I don't know what I would say. But I'm so thankful that you chose to reveal yourself in a way that I could understand, that I could see, that I could reach out to and, Lord, I know you're, you're continuing to do that work in all of us. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the, the continuing work of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit bringing us, revealing God to us. So, Jesus, I pray that we would be a people that project your glory on the earth, your glory in Blaine. God, that, that we would be willing to walk the road that you walked, a road that involves surrender but it also involves a whole lot of beauty uh, it involves a whole lot of change life change and a whole lot of love and lord i pray that you'd help us to be willing to walk that road lord and navigate that tension in our own lives lord we all have choices that we make every day and so lord help us to navigate the tension of of living fully in love with you and in and, in and, and walking the narrow path that leads to life With all the other priorities that that the world could throw at us. Lord, and, and they're heavy sometimes. But Jesus, help us choose you. And Lord, this morning as we come to communion, I pray that you would help us to choose you. Help us to choose life with you. You've done everything to reach us. Lord, help us to reach out to you, to open our hands, to take a step. I'm so thankful for your patience. I'm so thankful. That you are willing to walk with us slowly. Reveal yourself slowly that we can be closer to you, uh, you know, 10 years from now, be closer to you than we are today. Lord, that you walk with us. And so I pray that you would, wherever each of us are at, and I don't know where that is, but God, you do. You know where we're at with you. you. You know what we believe about you, and you continue to walk with us in that. Lord, thank you for that. God, we pray that you would show us more of your glory today and this week. Show us more of your glory, God, in a broken world. Lord, we see the brokenness of the world. Lord, we see the ugliness of the world. Lord, show us more of your glory. And allow us to reflect that into the world, we pray in Jesus' name.